the first episode of Grizzled. I'm your host Gus Purdy and I'm coming to you from my basement out here in the middle of Minnesota. Now those of you that don't know too much about uh, the geographical makeup of Minnesota, let me let me explain a few things because I sure as heck didn't know too much about the state before moving out here. I just assumed that Minnesota was primarily woodsy and lakey, that kind of thing. Uh, But but the truth of the matter is, Minnesota's kind of divided between that woodsy and lakey kind of thing, and then just a bunch of plains. So Minnesota kind of takes up where the Great Plains leave off, so it kind of has that in the southern part of the state. And then as you move north, you start getting into the woodsy, lakey stuff, as I mentioned, even what they refer to as kind of cliffs or mountain ranges. Other than other, otherwise, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty flat state. So we kind of live in the middle of the state. So we got the plainsy, but we definitely have some uh, woods and lakes. And we've been out here for, I should say, I keep saying we. I don't mean the royal we, just but I mean myself, my wife. Uh, and we moved out here with one daughter. We already had her. She was born in California, but now the, the second one since uh, has been born out here. So we got the wife, two daughters, and then we do have this big smelly black dog named Grizz. Kind of where I got the idea for this, uh, the title of this podcast. Anyway, uh, so that so that's what Minnesota's kind of like. And then, you know, a lot of people feel the need to point out to me that, oh, it, it must get cold out there. Yeah, it does. Okay, it's, pre- it's pretty far north. It borders Canada. So it, it does get a little bit nippy during the, uh, during the winter times. But y- you learn to adapt. You make do with it. Um, I'll admit when you get those wind chills in there, so the temperatures drop 40 below, uh, it gets a little much to deal with. But um, other than that, the winters aren't that bad. It's when there's still snow coming down and it's April, May, that's when things get a little bit rough. Um, so this podcast, uh, I think it's, I'm I'm going to try, on the advice of my brother-in-law, I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to, instead of going long form, I'm going to go short form. So I'm going to try to do 10 to 15 minutes uh, episodes and just going to be ruminations, observations, cogitations uh, about life, about pop culture, fatherhood, uh, husbandry, but not, that doesn't apply because I don't, I'm not into husbandry. I don't, I don't mate animals, but I mean the act of being a husband and, um, and all that kind of jazz. Going to be real short, in and out, okay? Because I know that you have a lot of other podcasts that you probably want to listen to, and you don't really want to listen to another one that's an hour long. Now, here's a problem. Before I was trying to do hour-long podcasts by myself, 
they weren't always they weren't necessarily an hour but i mean 45 minutes by yourself where you're just coming up with stuff to talk about it's kind of tough uh but this will be this will be a lot easier so we're going to talk about a couple things um what i'd like to start off i want to talk a little bit about literature books um i'm currently reading well i'm I'm currently reading a couple different books to be honest uh but I've been I've been working my way through uh, the sum and total of now by Don Robertson. Now this is the second in the Morris Bird trilogy. So Don Robertson he wrote uh, he wrote the greatest thing since sliced bread, sum and total of now which I'm working on, and then the the third one is uh, the greatest thing that almost happened. And each book takes place at a different point in Morris uh, Bird the thirds. Life. So, greatest thing since sliced bread. He's got an elementary age, right? And and that book focuses on courage and what it means to be courageous and doing a courageous thing to to make up for um, your uh, lack of courage elsewhere. The second book right now, he's middle school age or junior high age, and uh, he's definitely coming to grips with being older and also coming to grips as to how he fits into his family. Um, and for the first time, he's starting to look at uh, the nature of his parents, right? Which is, an, which is an interesting thing because when we're kids, we view our parents as infallible. They, they can't make any mistakes. Sure, we get upset with them, but you know they're the supreme beings. Um, they're God incarnate, right? You kind of, I, you, I would you know, put your parents on the same level as God when you're a little kid because you imagine them having the same, I don't know, I'm rambling now, but... Well, that's what we're going to ramble. We're going to ramble as we ruminate. But in the sum and total of now, um, and, and he discusses, uh, Morris has this theory about what it means to the sum and total of now. And the sum and total of now is like, we we have this desire to change, right? But all we can ever be at any one time is like who we are. You know, that's the sum and total of who we are at that moment. But we just have to realize that that's going to change. Like, that's not always who we're going to be. In fact, it's going to change constantly. So I'm working my way through the second book. Uh, it, it's really great. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to move. I don't want to move on too quickly to get to the third one. But it's like you just you kind of want to want to keep reading it. But but then I have some other books I'm working on. Now, I'd like to take a moment to talk about Stephen King for a moment. Now, Stephen King is one of my favorite authors, and I think he's one of my favorite authors because he's one of my dad's favorite authors. And when I used to go over to my dad's house every other weekend, uh, I'd be looking for something to read, and my dad is a voracious Stephen King fan, so all we would have uh, to, to choose from, if I, say I brought a book over and then I finished it, uh, I, I would just basically have his library to choose from. So I got started on, on the Stephen King stuff, and I think I started with the book Misery, um, maybe work through Pet Cemetery and uh, Talisman, all all that good stuff. Um, and and he's a tremendous he's a tremendous author. And I know that I know that a lot of people, critics mainly, they probably view him as, uh, you know, he's just one of those commercial authors. Okay, he's with the uh, Tom Clancy's and the John Grisham's and the Daniel Steele's. You know, these commercial authors who are just making money off of it. It's fluff. Uh, it's not. It's not that great. Um, in fact, there. I believe in a collection of criticism on King's work. Uh, Harold Bloom, for whatever reason, wrote the foreword 
And I, if I recall correctly, I, I think he just basically kind of bagged on King in the foreword, you know, basically making the point that, you know, you know, the people that you're about to read their thoughts on King, you know, you'll, you'll have to take their words because I just, I, you know, I can't do it. And it's just kind of that, um, just the pompousness, but I'd beg to differ. I, I believe, you know, King, yeah, he is a commercial author. He, he does write, uh, the stories are easy to read, right? It, it's entertainment, but sometimes that's what we want. But I would argue that there is substance in King's work, and that's evident, uh, to me, most evident in his Dark Tower saga. Now, the Dark Tower saga, uh, which I've I've read all of the books all the way through once, and I've kind of been slowly reworking my way through them. The Dark Tower saga as explained by King, is he he read Lord of the Rings, like everyone did, everyone read Tolkien, and he knew that he wanted to write some big epic like that, but he knew that he didn't want it to be with elves and wizards and, um, you know, that kind of thing, because he said once everyone read Tolkien and the Rings, that's all anyone wanted to write, was that kind of stuff. So he knew he wanted to do an epic, but he wanted to do it on his own terms. He then saw the spaghetti westerns of Sergio Leone, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Fistful of Dollars for a few dollars more, right? Clint Eastwood. So he knew that he wanted his epic to be with this gunslinger. So it's kind of part that. And then he was inspired by the poem by Robert Browning, Child Roll into the Dark Tower Came. And he's crafted this amazing world within worlds within worlds. It's all about parallel worlds. But essentially, Roland. Is Roland of Gilead is the last gunslinger, and he's on his way to find the Dark Tower because he believes if he can make it to the Dark Tower, he can help restore balance and keep the world right. And, you know, he, he makes and loses companions along the way. Um, and so you kind of got this Old West feel to it. And they keep referring to like people of the old ways, but people of the old ways, you know, use technology that, you know, we in our world would be familiar with. There's just many levels to this series. And I remember, I remember when I got to the end of the series, the, the last book, and, and uh, I won't spoil the ending, but I was disappointed um, until I studied, started studying Joseph Campbell's monomyth, The Hero's Journey, and then I kind of got a little bit more. So... Uh, to all the people who talk badly about uh, Stephen King, stop it. Uh, and I would suggest going out and checking out the Dark Tower series. So the first book, you have The Gunslinger. The second book is The Drawing of the Three. Then you have The Wastelands, which I just finished rereading. Fourth one is uh, Wizard in the Glass. Um, next one, I believe, is Wolves of the Kai Kala, Kaya. Then there's Song of Suzanne, and the last one is The Dark Tower. So it's a, it's a seven book cycle and uh, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, go check it out. So our second daughter, uh, Anna, just had her first birthday. And this has just been kind of hard to process. And I, birthdays come and go. Like, I get that. I understand that. But it's, it's just weird to... Because when you get to... Birthdays are such milestones. They're such markers. They're clear indicators. And so when you look back, you you have this this physical thing okay that that tells you exactly how much time has passed and i can't believe that a year 
She was just born a year ago. I can't believe how much time um, has elapsed. Because it was about a year ago that we had her. Shortly after that, we moved into our house that we bought. And that means that we've been we've been here for a year. And it's crazy how how much how much can take place in a short amount of time. And it just two years ago we moved to Minnesota. So in the two year time span, you know, we moved, uh, did our jobs there. Okay, then we moved again and also had another baby at the same time. And um, the birthday party was great. We didn't, you know, it wasn't big. Just just a little bit of family came out. And we went out to this playground uh, down in Rockford. And it has a great, great playground. It's actually, I'm kind of jealous. I wish that these kinds of playgrounds had existed when I was a kid because, uh, it's like they kind of taken like trees almost. And obviously it's like a ceramic, so it's not real wood, but it's like these tree structures and they've kind of made the playground around that. And then on the other side of the hill, you have lake. Um, so the girls got to go swimming. And, and it was a great time. Um, but again, just reminded about how quickly, quickly things elapse. Kind of makes you think back and reflect on what kind of parent you've been for this year. You know, when you look back, like, have I been a good parent, a bad parent? I guess, I guess I would say if I was being honest, honest reflection, I'd say I'd probably be a mediocre parent. Um, I don't think I'm necessarily doing anything damaging, but, uh, I probably definitely could be doing things better. And uh, I think that's just part of it. Just realizing, just trying to do things a little bit better each day. And, uh, I'm hoping in this, uh, in this coming year that, uh, that I get a little bit better, uh, at what it is I do. Cause this is, this is the most important, probably the most important job. Not probably. It is the most important job I'll ever have as much as I like, uh, like my job and value and think it's important. Um, this is definitely the most important job that I'll ever have. Um, parting thought for you and not, well, it is kind of related to literature. We'll stay on the literature bent, uh, before I leave you this time. I was talking about this with my wife. We occasionally will get into theology and we we talk about how that that religious texts and specifically the Bible these are meant these were not in my opinion. Okay, this is my my understanding, my interpretation. Um my under, my belief is that these are not meant to be taken literally. Uh, to me, these texts, they have lessons, they have messages that the ancient people, that our ancestors, were trying to impart to us the best way that they knew how. And this got me thinking about the, the creation story. Now, the creation story is that God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. All right? And my wife and I were talking about, what if... If, if you think about it, the, the six days, that's, that is evolution. You have this development of, um, of different things on each subsequent day. And on the sixth day, man is created. Okay, Humankind is created. And then he rests. So what if those six days represent the course of evolution? But back then, that was a hard concept to explain. Right? Remember, it was a, originally it was an oral storytelling tradition. 
right? So as the stories were passed down, okay, maybe a million years or thousands of years is hard to impart. So by compartmentalizing that time period into a single day, all right, it helps explain it better. So on the first day, boom, you have, you know, there was darkness. It was that void. There was a void. Okay, on the first day you got light. Okay, day and night. Then you start developing fish of the sea, birds of the air, beasts of the land, so on and so forth, till you get to humankind. So maybe, just maybe, um, that was the way of explaining evolution back there, uh, back then. And that was just a thought, thought that we had. Anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, I may do may do more than one of these each week, if especially if I'm keeping them shorter. Uh, but this has been Grizzled. I'm your host, Gus Purdy, coming to you from the basement in Minnesota. And uh, thanks for listening.